Hello, everybody. My name is Alex Tippett, and I am a junior at Providence Baptist College. Welcome back to yet another episode of Maverick Messages, where you will hear the soul-stirring sermons we hear each and every day of school. Please enjoy the following Maverick message. Acts chapter 17 and verse number 15. And this is, uh, this is going to be a, a little bit of a different message, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't even, I don't even, uh, I, I, was reading, I was reading my Bible, believe it or not. And this verse, this verse is one of those verses that just comes out at you and smacks you in the face. And you're like, man, I, you just got to sit there and think about that for a little bit. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm just uh, kind of looking up other verses and kind of exploring that train of thought. You know, you've been there before, and you just go down that train of thought. You're like, man, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's pretty neat truth here. And uh, I want to share that with you today by way of this message. And so Acts chapter 17 and verse number 15. And let's look at that verse there. That, and they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come unto him with all speed, they departed. When I read that verse, and I kept thinking about that phrase at the beginning of the verse, and they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. And that really just jumped out at me because I started thinking about there's some people there that were, that were with Paul. They were, the, they, were, they were conducting Paul. They were, uh, they were helping Paul on this particular journey here. And I got to thinking about all the adventures Paul was in. Could, could, could write, well, I mean, we have the book of Acts, but I mean, you got to think of all the stuff that didn't even fit in there, um, just what we know, the, the miracles that Paul experienced and that he was a part of, the adventures in the, in, in the shipwrecks and beatings and all the bad stuff, but also all the good stuff, the, the revivals, the riot, all the thing put together. There was people that were conducting Paul on these journeys, and I got to staring at that and thinking, man, who are these people? Who are these people? I'm picturing, I don't know, maybe a couple of guys or, uh, or some, some disciples or somebody. That they're, they're taking Paul and making sure maybe that he's, he's getting from one place to another. Uh, maybe he needs something and they go and get, and they go get what he needs. And uh, I was just saying, man, there's no names given here. Um, you know, nameless people. Uh, my mind went back to when I was a kid in junior high and so forth at Northwest. We had just started coming here and we'd have these preachers come in. And I didn't really know too much about them, but later I find out, you know, that these, these guys were really well-known around the country. But they come in for preaching, sometimes for conferences. I think uh, uh, Lee Robertson and Tom Malone and Joe Boyd. And these guys would come in and preach maybe every year or every couple of years or a conference. And, and, but as a, as a teenager, as a junior hire, I always remember there'd be one, usually one guy that was, that was kind of tagging along with that, with that preacher, with that evangelist, with that pastor. And he, you know, he would be just escorting them, if you will, and, and helping them along. You guys know what I'm talking about. If you've, if you've uh, been somewhere maybe where an evangelist, an older man, a guy comes in, and there's just somebody, maybe a prep guy coming and set up the table or whatever in and, and, uh, and, and the book table. And, um, but I remember that as a kid, seeing those guys. And I kind of think about that as I see they that conducted Paul. You know, these guys that are just, nobody knows who they are. Um, they really weren't even doing what we would consider a, an important job you know, a big job, they're, they're just kind of along for the ride, right? Uh, but I keep reading here, we get to chapter 19, and I was excited to find out that, um, that we have a couple names here to go with these faces. Look at Acts chapter 19. This is, as Paul is preaching and seeing all these things happen, 
Um, in, ch in chapter, where did I say? Chapter 19, uh, they're, they're having this, this big riot because they have the, 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 the revival happening and these guys are not happy. Demetrius, the copper, the, the, this guy who's uh, making these idols, he's, he's uh, upset and uh, he starts this riot going, look at verse number, uh, verse number 29. The whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. So we got some names to put with these faces. And I got excited about that. Gaius and Aristarchus, because once you have some names, now we can start looking it up, right? And that's what we do, put in the concordance. Where else are these guys mentioned in the Bible? And uh, not only that, but there's a lot of points in the Bible where, where you don't get the names. You just see the brethren or maybe the disciples that were helping out Paul. And I'm just thinking about, man, there's, there's quite a few uh, people, as you go through looking at the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul, all these people that, that were around Paul at different points. It's always, you know, maybe, maybe a couple that were here at this place, but a couple different ones at this place. And, or Paul just kind of shouts out to them in a letter that he's writing, right, in a greeting or, you know, salute this person or that person. But I look at, man, these guys, these, these conductors of Paul, these companion, travel companions, the Bible calls them, Look at what look, they, look where they were involved in here. The whole city was filled with confusion, and they caught these two guys, Gaius and Aristarchus. So they, they were in this riot, and these guys are conducting Paul. I don't know if they're trying to get him to safety, but these guys were actually boots on the ground enough where they were the ones that got caught, right? And, and so they're looking for Paul. Apparently can't, you know, I don't know if they hit him enough or, or what, how they got, you know, they were able to avoid him getting caught. But these two guys, uh, these guys got caught. And I just, again, I think that's interesting here. Um, and this mob, they, they, they took these guys and, and you know, uh, we're trying to get Paul, really. Look at verse number one here. After the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And uh, so when he had gone over those parts, given them much exhortation, he came into Greece, and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him, and we get some more names here, uh, into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus. So Aristarchus, there he is again. And, uh, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, and of Asia, Titius and Trophimus. So a lot of names here, but we know Timotheus, right? We know who that is. And here we got Gaius and we got Aristarchus again. These guys are signing up for more. After this mob came and caught them, they're like, no, Paul, we're going, we're going with you. Um, we're, we're continuing this journey here. We, we get to Acts 27 and verse number one. Uh, go ahead and turn over there. Check this out. When it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. So this is Paul traveling with a bunch of prisoners. Surely at this point, Paul's on his own, right? I always picture Paul on this boat, and it's just a bunch of guys he'd never seen or heard. They don't know, you know, they're not saved. And Paul's like this one lone voice there of, 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 of the gospel witness, and these are all a bunch of prisoners, right? And then the, the workers on the ship. But we see entering into a ship of whatever that place is, we launched, in verse 2, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, just in case you were wondering if it was the same Aristarchus, being with us. So this guy Aristarchus, 
He just wouldn't give up. He's on this ship going to Rome with Paul. What is it about this guy? And not only that, you, you don't have to turn there, but in Colossians, he's writing to the Colossians in chapter 4, verse number 10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. So uh, whether this guy was literally a physical prisoner with him, or, you know, he, he, in another place he refers as fellow prisoner in Christ, not to Aristarchus, but he used that term. So some, some, some theologians think that, you know, fellow prisoner might just mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, bond, a slave bond to Christ, you know, I'm a prisoner to Christ. Uh, or, you know, the way the Romans did prison is they would have a house arrest and they could have visitors, though, come and go and stuff. So maybe this guy was like hanging out in Paul's, you know, halfway house there. Um, I don't, but the point is, this guy... This guy ended up with Paul, sticking by Paul, and uh, he talks about another guy, Marcus, um, who was with them as well, and, and then he continues t- talking about, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. So here's the point. Paul, the guy who we all know, that, I mean, the, you know, we don't have to go into credentials here. We know Paul. We know what God did through Paul. We know his life. We know his story. We know all that happened. But there was not just one. Well, we could look at Aristarchus, and Gaius was involved a lot. But Aristarchus, man, this guy especially, there's people that came alongside Paul in his journeys through, through these different places, bringing the gospel. And there was some practical needs. There were some spiritual needs. We see here that they were a comfort to him. There was, there was an encouragement need. There were some things, these needs that these people who some of them we have names, some of them we don't. They met those needs for Paul. And the more I was diving in, I started in curiosity, but then I started getting a little bit convicted. You see in Philemon 123, he again mentions, he, he says, they salute, salute Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus Aristarchus, Demas Lucas. So we mentioned Marcus again and Aristarchus, those guys that were with him in Rome that, that you know, went, went through the shipwreck and everything with him, uh, these guys were not backing off from this, this job that they had apparently given themselves of accompanying Paul on his journey, conducting Paul, if you will. We see others that get involved in this in Acts chapter 19 and verse 30 when Paul would have entered in unto the people. This is during that big riot that was taking place where they caught Aristarchus and Gaius. But the Bible says the disciples suffered him not. They didn't let him go in there. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not uh, venture into the theater. So he has another, there's another nameless list of these friends in Asia. There's this nameless uh, group, uh, sometimes referred to as disciples. We do know their names. And then in Acts 17, the Bible talks about the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. So there's the brethren, there's these friends, there's the disciples, these groups of people. Some of them we get their names, some of them don't, and sometimes it overlaps. And and even going back to the beginning of Paul's ministry, remember how that started out when his name was still Saul. And the Bible says in Acts 9, 22, Saul increased some more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. The Jews took counsel to kill him, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates night and day. So what do you do? Well, remember the story of Paul getting in the basket, and he just lowered himself down, right? 
No, the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And there were some people there on a wall. I mean, think about this. At night, all, all these Jews are trying to kill him. If they catch you trying to help the guy they're trying to kill, they're probably not going to you know, throw a celebration and give you, you, know, give you money and, and, and send you on your way. These guys are looking for blood, but there were some disciples, there were some people that didn't let that risk stop them from just seeing, hey, we need to get this guy. This guy is trying to do the Lord's work. He's, he's, he's one of us now. I don't, you know, whatever the risk is, but we're going to try to be smart about it, but we got to get this guy out of here. And without these disciples lowering Paul down, we have no rest of the book of Acts. We have no Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, Corinthians. You get the idea. All that is because of some people saw there was a need here and elected themselves to be able to be a help to this, this preacher of the gospel. Man, I, not even an exhaustive list, but you, you, he mentions Timotheus. We got Barnabas, Silas, John Mark, Luke, who was with them on the, all through that uh, journey in the, on the ship. Aristarchus, we talked about him and Gaius. He mentions Jason, Sopater, Onesimus, Pudus and Trophimus, Epaphras, Sosthenes, Titius, Priscilla and Aquila, ladies, in case you feel like you're left out. And also, don't forget Lydia, but I'm not even going through all the names. There are just some of the ones that he mentions by name that we know helped out. Now, these people didn't all get their names listed in the Hall of Faith. They didn't stop the mouths of lions. They didn't subdue kingdoms and dwell in the wilderness and caves and deserts and dens of the earth. Right? There are some adventures that are bigger than others, but I mean, some of them, they just brought Paul his parchments and his cloak. Some of them uh, were, were just making sure that he had, he, had, he had a place to stay, Aquila and Priscilla. Well, he, you know, they didn't have the big, grand adventures. But they were involved in the work that Paul did. Each of them, when they presented with an opportunity to help God's man to further the gospel, they said, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And they served their part in God's ultimate divine plan of providence, even if it was just bringing him his coat. All these people, it, it, we don't even have a list of them. It, well, some of you were at church last night. Pastor uh, had mentioned how, uh, how Brother Abe Che, when he was eight years old, you know, we, the, the church, the pastor, preacher Gomez raising money to be able to move in the new building, which is our building now on Nestle Road. And, you know, who can raise money for this? Who can give to this? Who can give to that? And Abe Che is an eight-year-old boy. He gave $1,500 so that way the pulpit could be purchased for the new auditorium. And he mentioned that last night. And I remember, I remember in junior high and, and even high school, we would be, you know, doing something. And, and a couple times during, during I, knew, I knew that he had given the money for the pulpit because he would bring it up every now and again, like, this is my pulpit, guys, or whatever, just joking, right, as teenagers. But I completely have forgotten about that. It was a long time ago. And when he said that, it came back to mind. But I got to thinking, Brother Hall, $1,500. Think of how, think of the return on investment of $1,500 for 28 years of, of what the messages have been coming over that pulpit and what has been the decisions that have been made on the altars below that pulpit. The people that have been saved, the people have been called to preach, the lives that have been changed. I mean, you can't even wrap your mind around $1,500. You want to talk about, a, you want to talk about somebody 
who just said, hey, I can do, I can do that. I can, I can be involved in that as an eight-year-old. Man, these people in Paul's life, they were crucial. And the thing is, they saw, they didn't just see it as something somebody else can do. They didn't see it as something I got to wait on somebody to ask me to do it. The Bible says, whatsoever thine hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. The problem is our, our, our hands aren't looking for anything to do. For your hand to find something to do, it's got to be looking for something to do. And I'm afraid sometimes we get to the point, uh, in, in myself included, we get to the point where we're just kind of waiting for somebody to ask us. If somebody asks me, man, I'm going to say yes. I'll say okay. But these people here, you, you get the feeling from Aristarchus, man, I would imagine probably people were not looking forward to asking him after he already got caught in this riot. Hey, Aristarchus, you know, can you go with Paul again? You know, he's got another journey. I mean, he, he's been through a lot. But somebody, somebody, had to, somebody had to see the need here that Paul had. And where does that leave us today? I believe the greatness of our churches today and the churches in the future are the good people in the core congregation and the staff of these churches who wake up every day and decide they're going to hold the ropes. They're going to hold the ropes. And uh, Pastor referenced it before of Spurgeon. They asked him, said, what is the secret to your ministry? And he said, the secret to my ministry is that the people pray for me. I found a uh, more detail to that story. He actually was with some people, and they were touring the church, and he had taken them down, and he was all excited to show them the boiler room at the basement of the church. He said, this is where the people pray for me. Those people that were never going to know their names. Those people that probably don't even think, they don't think they're going to end up being talked about in some sermon hundreds of years later. They're just doing what they know God wants them to do at the time they have. William Carey, in the year 1792, he challenged his Baptist brethren to obey their responsibility and take the gospel to unreached lands, which was not a familiar concept at the time. He preached his famous sermon from Isaiah 54, and summed up the teaching in two statements. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And then in response to that, the Baptists in the mid-England formed the particular Baptist Society for Propagating the Gospel Among the Heathen. That was the name of their organization. And they appointed Carey uh, and John Thomas to go to India as missionaries. So, hey, you inspired us. Uh, brother, brother Carey, you inspired us to start this organization. Now we're going we're gonna to propose that you take this other guy. You guys go to India. That sounds well and good, but the problem is nobody had been to India. India was an unknown place. India was unexplored. And so in the next year, in 1973, Carey said a tearful farewell to his church there in Leicester, England. The society came together for a farewell service for Carey. And sometime during that all-day meeting, Carey met with the four leaders of this society. The men promised Carey that as he went forth in the society's name, in the name of their master, they should never cease till death to stand by him. And there was a man, Andrew Fuller, that later described this occasion. He gave an analogy. He said, it was as if there was a gold mine in India. He's talking about a gold mine of unreached souls. And people that have never heard, you understand? It's one thing when you're saturated with the gospel and you keep rejecting it over and over and over. It's a hard heart. But for somebody who's never heard the wonderful story, who doesn't even know that, you know, the name of this creator that you probably are, would, would like to worship but don't even know how, man, this untapped gold mine, he, they said, he said, it's like there was a gold mine in India as deep as the center of the earth. Who will venture to explore it? 
And he said it was like if Carrie was responding, I will venture to go down. But remember, you must hold the ropes. He said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go. But you guys got to hold the ropes back here. You got my back? You, you, you can't forget about me once I go. Somebody's got to be holding the ropes. And I don't know if he was thinking about Paul when he was giving that analogy or just about an explorer going down into a deep gold mine. But that meaning in his mind, in Fuller's mind, it was like he and the other brethren gave their word that whilst we live, we shall never let go the ropes. And it's hit me when uh, my brother and, and his family were about to move 8,133 miles away to New Zealand. And uh, most, a lot of you know my brother is in New Zealand right now. He's, he's uh, working in a church there, about to start their own their church plant, coming up pretty quick. Actually, next week they start up a Bible institute they've been working on since he got there. Very exciting what God is doing there in New Zealand. But man, as, as, as we're going into it, and, and uh, I'm just really close with my brother. He worked here on staff, and just he went through my youth group since seventh grade. Uh, he's about to move, and I'm not going to see him until I don't know how long, right? Now I know how long. I'm planning on going there uh, for our 15th anniversary, so we're excited about that. But, you know, uh, I couldn't go to New Zealand myself. I couldn't bring the gospel there. That's not what God has for me, but God has him going there. You know what I can do is I can hold the ropes. I can hold the ropes. What does that mean, man? That means that sometimes it's not glamorous and it's not some big thing. It, it means just maybe a phone call. Say, hey, man, how's it going? Just thinking about you. Sometimes it's just sending a picture because, like, here's an event that we're doing and here's some pictures of it. Hey, thinking about you. Here's what's going on. Sometimes it's just making sure I can answer the phone. No matter what's going on, make time to answer the phone if he's calling. Simple stuff. What is that? It's all holding the ropes. Obviously, there's a, there's a level of prayer support that every single missionary needs to have. I mean, it's not optional. Somebody's got to be holding the ropes of prayer. And as we get into missions conference, this isn't just a missions conference thought, but as we get into missions conference, missionaries more than anybody else need somebody to hold the ropes. Some of you might have missions, missionaries at your church supports or maybe people out of your church that are missionaries. Man, of, of all the people that need to be holding the ropes, we need to be holding the ropes to these missionaries. And it, is, it, it starts with prayer, but it continues on to some practical things and, and courage. What Paul said, man, these people, Aristarchus, they were a comfort to me. I wonder how many missionaries wouldn't leave the field if somebody would have kept holding the ropes. I wonder how many pastors would have been able to keep the church going if somebody would have been holding the ropes. I wonder how many men of God would have been able to continue, but somebody let go of the rope. And we got an opportunity here. As we're pursuing God's will for our life, listen, I know every one of us has a will we got, that, that God has, has directed for our lives. It's God's will. We're trying to follow it. We're trying to, trying to do what God wants us to do. But as you're following that path, as, as, you're, as, you're, as you're doing what God wants you to do, don't get tunnel vision where you realize, man, there's people there's people that God has, you come across their path where they are going to need somebody to hold the rope. And as I'm doing what God's called me to do, man, I could still hold some ropes for some other men of God, for some ladies, uh, some women of God, some people that have some needs. Man, I can hold those ropes. We need to be making sure we're doing that. In a lot of cases, we don't have to look too far. We don't have to look too far to find some ropes that are right in front of us. I'm talking about our pastors. Man, every single one of you come from a church, you have a pastor who needs somebody to be holding the rope. 
You say, no, my pastor, man, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's uh, doing fine. He's doing great. He has no problems. There's no, there's no issues. You don't understand the devil. You don't understand the work that's going on behind the scenes. You don't understand the encouragement that he might need. He needs somebody holding the rope. And I'll tell you who's the perfect person to hold the rope is that, that college student who's in Bible college who maybe, uh, maybe you don't even realize how many people are praying for you back at your church. You don't understand uh, how excited your pastor is about you doing the will of God for your life. But man, there's a rope that you can hold, and it's really not hard. And the thing is, the rope holders, really, we got the easy job. The hard part is just being faithful at it. Because you know, what, you know why we, we let go of the ropes? is because it's not exciting. It's not thrilling. But I'm telling you, Aristarchus, man, he, he didn't, he, in modern days, he might have just been the guy driving the pastor to the meeting. Right? Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Or is it? Man, holding the ropes. What about your pastor? Are you holding the ropes for your pastor? Are you an encouragement? You say, oh, not, not me. I mean, I, I come from a church. It's, it's a bigger church. There's a lot of people. No, 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 no. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. They say that in bigger churches that, uh, that uh, the pastor gets fewer birthday cards than in smaller churches. Because in a bigger church, everybody assumes somebody else is going to be writing the thank you card or the birthday card. But in a smaller church, I mean, everybody's saying, man, i got to write pastor a birthday card because if I don't write it, who's he going to get it from? Man, it's important. No matter what church you're from, no matter how many people are from your church, it's important you say, you know what? Nobody's going to come to me and ask me for this. Nobody's going to, you know, hey, can you do it? You've got to be able to see the need and be able to say, I'm going to hold that rope. And what about your parents? What about your parents? Oh, no, my parents don't need no encouragement. They don't need anybody to hold the ropes for them. And when's the last time? When's the last time you did something to make sure your parents knew you were holding the ropes for them? That'd go a long way. It doesn't cost a lot of money or any money for a phone call, for a text, for, for a note. And hold the ropes for our churches, for our peers, for our friends. Man, I'm telling you what. In Bible college, here's the great thing about Bible college. You're meeting other people that are going to be in the ministry the rest, the rest of the time you're in ministry. And you're going to be serving across, across the country from each other at a distance, maybe, maybe a few cities away. Who knows what it is? I mean, you've got a chance to hold the ropes. It would be a shame if in Bible college we could have done something to help encourage somebody else to finish. Instead, we criticize them because we got jealous or because of this or that or whatever. Instead of saying, hey, you know what? Here's an underclassman. Here's a freshman here. Instead of, instead of really making their life miserable, I could have just put, I could have put aside what I was doing for two seconds, be able to hold the ropes for them and bring them along. Ultimately, you know who's dependent on us to hold the ropes for the men of God? It's the a, it's a lost people that aren't saved yet. Man, it's those people that Paul's about to go preach to in the next city. And because Aristarchus and Gaius showed up and helped them be able to survive that riot, he's able to get to the next town. He's able to get the gospel to the next city. Those people there that are lost are dependent. You know who's depending on the hold of ropes? Those people in India that William Carey was going to go preach to and get saved. The people that the missionaries are going to go preach to. As you pursue God's will for your life, be on the lookout for others who need the ropes to be held. There's sometimes ropes we got right in front of us and, and really, to be honest, we could do a better job of holding those ropes if we just took it more seriously. Because we don't think it's a big deal. But you got no idea the difference you're making. That's the thing. That's the lesson I got from these, these people, these unnamed people. Some of them named. They're all throughout the book of Acts. Some of them took a little more to heart than others, like that Aristarchus guy. 
But the point is, they, nobody came to them and asked them. They decided that they were going to make sure they took it as their job. And, and the Holy Spirit pinpoints somebody in your life. You could say, you know what? I need to make sure that I'm doing a better job. I'm going to take it more seriously and hold the ropes for whoever this is that God's put in my hand. It takes a little time. It takes a little effort. Sometimes you've got to put up with some junk. Sometimes it gets a little tiring. But let me encourage you. It's worth it to hold the ropes. It's worth it to hold the ropes. Praise the Lord. That's some good stuff right there. Please tune in again for another Maverick message next week.